Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through the industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And before I move forward, may I request you to subscribe, follow, like, and comment on whichever platform you are watching or listening to this show on. And today we have John Follis, award-winning creative director, writer, filmmaker. And we'll be talking about, you know, the rising trend of videos for today's business businesses, which he predicted long back, and all, all, all things advertising. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you, Ajay. My pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you for your uh, time on, for coming on this show, John. So straight away to the point, uh, John. You see, in 2013, it was the 2013 year 2013 and you opened your company uh you are called big ideas videos and what what and today you see the videos are the uh, are in so much of trend video podcast videos videos in everything videos in social media videos in personal con communication people find it easy to talk video right. calling everything video and your video for marketing and especially for businesses. Right. It's been 10 years now, and you predicted it so long back. What was the idea? How it happened? We, I, I just want, was curious to know that yeah. for the audience. Well, it was an evolution of my business. You know, um, I was in the advertising business in New York City uh, for the first uh, half of my career. And uh, that was in the 80s and the 90s. And then um, with the internet, Shortly after the internet started, I guess in the around 94, it wasn't long thereafter that with high speed, I guess high speed uh, happened around 98 maybe. And with the high speed ability came the video. So uh, ever since uh, I'm a Macintosh guy and with Mac, there's a program called iMovie. That's a... Right. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Certainly your, your, your Apple people are. But I started dabbling in video um, when that application was part of the, uh, the creative suite with the um, uh, uh, Macintosh computer. So, uh, but my main business at that, at that time was uh, I kind of evolved out of the ad agency world because that wasn't very sexy um, <laughs> once the internet came along. Uh, but I realized that the people I was interfacing with um, were, for the most part, small business owners. Right. I left. I was in an agency partnership, and we had uh, we had pretty big clients from around the country. But when I when I left that, I found myself. I was essentially solo. I just had a couple of people working with me. So when I was networking, I was interfacing with small business owners who. Um, wanted to have nothing to do with advertising, but they all needed marketing help. So right. uh, the big idea video was really an evolution out of this, this marketing consulting that I had been doing from uh, right around the turn of the century. Um, so it, I, just, I just realized through my consulting how many people were clueless about video. And uh, right around that time, Jay, you may be familiar with this term. I don't know if, how many of your listeners or viewers are, but 
the big thing uh, related to video around that time was explainer videos. Are you familiar with that term? Uh, I have got familiar now. I don't know if I remember, but explainer videos I can see are, are the trend even today. I mean, in so much of today, but I don't remember during that time, but it's good to know. Obviously, uh, now I remember those were explainer videos. I would not remember the, them by that name, but obviously those were explainer yeah, videos. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know what it was like in India, but here um, in 2012, explainer videos was like one of the top 10 most searched terms on Google. So okay. uh, that just gives you an idea what a trending uh, thing that was. And for your viewers, listeners and, and uh, viewers that still don't know what that that is now, basically what as as the as the uh, um, term suggests, they were videos that explain stuff and uh, primarily um, in the B2B category where it required a bit of explaining. Um, so, I mean, there, there are many different styles of video. So these were, these were um, pretty rudimentary um, videos that used a lot of animation. This is when a lot of uh, anima animated videos became the trend. So um, you might be familiar with uh, what they refer to as the whiteboard videos, where you see the hand yes. writing, you know, yes. on a whiteboard. So that's when those videos started. And that was one example of an explainer type videos where they use the graphics to make it easier to explain what the, what the, what the voiceover was saying. So the combination of the words and the graphics made it really easy to explain uh, something that might otherwise be difficult for a consumer to understand. And, uh, you know, not every business needs that. I mean, if you're Coke or McDonald's, you don't need an explainer video. But if you sell some kind of a widget or something that's esoteric, especially B2B, it generally does require a bit of explaining. So that's why these became so popular, especially with the animation. So um, that really wasn't the kind of video I was doing because my background is high concept. So right. I was doing more the traditional kind of TV commercial kind of videos. But um, because I'm a creative guy, I really um, wanted to jump on this trend. And I, I found it a lot of fun to figure out some software programs, some animation programs that enabled me to be a explainer video content creator. So that was one of the things I got into uh, when I started Big Idea Video in 2013. Right, right. But you see, uh, you are primarily an ad person, an ad man. Uh, right. And you understood marketing so well that I guess a lot of people in marketing won't understand that. And both the stuff that you do, did, even in 2004 when you... Uh, started Follis Marketing Therapy. Uh, got to tell us about that. And then again yeah. in 2013, you created the Big Ideas videos. In a way, you were talk thinking purely as a marketing person. Now, yeah. tell us about that. How did it start in, uh, so early in 2004? Well, listen, when, <clears throat> when you live in New York City and you have to pay your rent, 
you've got to constantly figure out how to um, uh, provide uh, a service to clients that they want to pay for. So um, this is true with any business, I think, regardless of, of what the industry is. You've got to continue. Nothing stays the same for very long. Every industry changes, right? And, and certainly, um, as I mentioned earlier, the being an advertising guy might have been pretty uh, cool in the 70s and the 80s, not so much in the 90s and certainly not now, you know. Uh, you know, maybe if you work at a big agency and you work on Coke or McDonald's, it could still be a lot of fun. But um, I was an entrepreneur. And like I said, I was I found myself in the late 90s at these networking events. And I almost hesitated to answer the question, what do you do? Because when I said I'm an advertising guy, they would say, excuse me. And they walked to the bar to get another drink. <laughs> so um, but. They um, because when they hear advertising, they think, you know, Super Bowl commercials and TV commercials and things that they couldn't come clo close to affording, nor were they things that they felt they really needed. But all of them wanted to talk to me about marketing. So the question at that point, Ajay, was, OK, so if I'm not going to call myself an ad guy, to scare people away, what am I going to call myself and what do I need to do for my own business to stay relevant? And I didn't want to call myself a marketing consultant because that's a pretty boring thing, I thought. But um, it's a kind of an interesting story how it how it happened. I got a call around 2004 from a woman who was referred to me. She was a she was a, a solopreneur, independent business person. She was referred to me as someone who could basically give her some advice. And uh, so she wanted some consulting. And at that time, I wasn't thinking. Uh, I was still thinking I was an ad guy. And this is when things began to change because she said, I really would just love to talk to you for a couple of hours and I'll pay you. And my response was, well, I don't do that. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the more I re deflected her attempt to want to work with me, the more she insisted that um, I agree to work with her. And finally, a voice went off my head and said, shut the hell up and figure out what to charge this woman. <laughs> so I told her that um, I would sleep on it. And then the question came that I had to come up with was I told her I'd give her the call, call her the next day and let her know what I would do. So it really came down to what I was going to be charging an hour. And uh, I came up with an hourly rate that I didn't really think she could afford, but I felt that it was a, 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 a fair rate that adequately would compensate me for what I was offering her. And this was in uh, 2004, and 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 what I suggested, uh, what I told her, my rate was was $250 an hour in 2004. And uh, I was expecting her to say no, and she said okay. And then I said, oh, and I get paid up front because I don't I don't want to chase someone for you know $250 an hour. So she said okay. So she came to my apartment in New York. She sat on my couch. I sat next to her with a pad and pen 
and said, what's your problem? And for the next 50 minutes, she spoke nonstop. It was just like one continuous sentence. And finally, as it was, we were coming up in an hour and I had, you know, the check in my hand, I felt like I should interrupt the woman so at least I could offer her some, some feedback. She couldn't believe that she was talking nonstop for almost an hour. And I said, I don't mind giving you a little extra time here, but we do have to stop, you know, in about 20 minutes or so. So I gave her an extra 10 or 15 minutes and she said, well, gee, I, I feel like we're just getting started. To which I replied, what do you want to do? And she said, well, we have to meet again. I said, okay. So when she was leaving my apartment, that's when I realized that maybe I could build a business on this if I came up with a great way to brand it. And again, like I didn't want to say I'm a marketing consultant because that sounds pretty lame um, from my perspective. So I just realized with this woman, because her business was, she was so emotionally invested in her business it almost felt, I almost felt like I was a therapist when I was talking to her. Like, you know, well, how does that make you feel? <laughs> right. You know, to really try to get, find out what's going on in her head and her heart and what, you know, what the real issues are. Um, so um, I came up pretty quickly. I came up with this guy, this, this uh, name, Marketing Therapy. Okay. Which, okay. which if nothing else, it makes people want, wonder well what the hell is that you know so um that was the start of me doing that and i did that for um the next 10 or 15 years until we get to 2013 uh and i didn't stop doing it when i got into big idea video i just created another business you know all you need to do is create you know buy the domain big idea video big idea uh video dot biz and put it up on the internet and you have another business. So I didn't stop marketing therapy, but in addition to that, because after consulting people for 10 or 15 years, I just realized that um, all of them needed video and none of them really knew how to do it. And I just realized that they might not under, marketing can mean so many different things. It's such a broad umbrella. But video is something that everyone understands. And not only do they understand it, but it's a sexy thing. If, if you say you know how to create great digital video content that gets people excited about your business, they're going to want to know more about that. So I felt that that was not only something that I could embrace because of my creative talent, but also from a marketing perspective, I really thought I could build a whole new uh, business uh, funnel of a whole business model based on these multiple kinds of videos. So that's, that's kind of a long answer to your question. Uh, that's a, that's perfectly all right. And that was uh, needed, John. I will ask more questions on this because videos, you see everyone is making videos nowadays and small businesses are finding it is as the, you know, as the final answer to, uh, to all their marketing problems, even big businesses, everybody's there. And today it's the online use of videos to a great extent. Every uh, every report, every analysis you understand and video you will find at the top. Even on social media, you see, you see YouTube, you see anybody right. else. And they will right. say reels, they talk about reels, they talk about shorts. Uh, you know, you they just you uh, change the name, but wherever you go, 
you'll find something called videos. Even audios are getting converted into video format. And uh, even text is getting converted into video format. So everything is getting converted into video format. Well, just, just look, at tic- look at TikTok. I mean, how TikTok has exploded. I mean, I think that's the number one social media platform right now, certainly for people, you know, under 40 or under yes. 30, you know. Yes, in fact, in fact, it's uh, it's creating a lot of problems for uh, for Meta, Facebook, or whatever, and they are changing so much of their strategy now. Uh, they are coming out almost like uh, be- trying to, you know, become uh, like uh, TikTok. If TikTok is not is banned in India at the moment, but uh, I'm sure uh, with a real moment, it's banned, did you say it's banned in India? Yes, yes, for the last couple of years because of our. Uh, of our relationship with China. And then there were many other uh, uh, platforms out there which are not in India available at the moment. I did not know that. It's it's like it's exploding here in the States. Yes, but we, uh, we I've been reading about it everywhere. So I, I in fact, I asked this question to one of the uh, top guys in, uh, in the industry about when he said that uh, because of TikTok, Instagram and everybody, they are changing a lot of their stuff. So I asked them that India is such a huge market. And when you have got uh, Instagram and Facebook and they're, they're all changing so much of stuff, who would they be fighting in India? Because the TikTok is not a competitor at the moment for them. So would they be fighting ghosts or is it like, uh, is it like fixing something which is, uh, which is not broken in India? So I guess for India, Instagram will have to think of a different strategy perhaps, or maybe they will get prepared for the, for the time uh, when when they they hope that TikTok will be able to come uh, come back in India, but I don't know whether that will be a reality. So, so you're saying it's based on the bad relations between the two countries? That's why it's banned. It's not bad relations. You can say these are all part of diplomatic, uh, what you call understanding. When they, how how they look at things differently, and there were certain tensions in the last uh, early on, uh, say two years back. Uh, and during that time, obviously, India has every right to take steps based on, you know, all threat perceptions and all those business mechanics and business understanding. So many, not only one, uh, there are many Chinese uh, applications which are which have been, you know, at the moment, they are not uh, operating in India. There are other other op- applications also. Anything which is which they think that uh, maybe a threat or, or you know in terms of data security because there is a lot of problem of in terms of data security we believe that uh, indians uh, indian government believes that a lot of data localization should ha- should happen and uh, yeah that's the issue yeah i mean us doesn't have the best relations with china either and that that is one of the concerns that china is using this to steal data you know so um you know, wouldn't surprise me. I think I think there are a lot of people in the U.S. that would probably like to ban TikTok for that reason. Uh, yeah, but you see, TikTok has become uh, such a big part of U.S. life, and but we must give it to TikTok how they transform themselves from being, you know, where a lot of different sort of videos were come uh, were playing, and then suddenly a lot of businesses have started using it and a lot of young generation is there and now because of that even uh, companies like instagram and all these things they have right. to change so much of their uh, business policies going forward and today if you type 
uh, about Instagram and all that stuff, you'll come to know it's all vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, everybody. And I, I'll tell you all those big websites also who, who talk about, you know, different reports and all. They, they are coming out with special reports on, you know, how to do better on TikTok, how you can do better on this, how to do that. So that's the changing changing world. But that also uh, also uh, comes out so strongly that how you could visualize the importance of video even in 2013 when the market was not the way it is. And as I said, uh, podcast and video, video cast and uh, right. businesses using video. So I just wanted to understand uh, from you, uh, John, that during those times, how did the market, the businesses that you are advising, especially the small businesses, take to that idea of videos during that time from you? Um, very positively. Um, the, I mean, it's still amazing to me now that there are many businesses uh, that still have no, no video. Um, they all wanted video. Not all of them wanted to pay <laughs> for the video. Right. You know, that's the problem. This is the problem I face because... Um, you, I thought this was a problem only, only in India, on this part of the world. You know, uh, well, you know, there, there's always someone that could do it for less. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, the, yeah. The, the challenge that I found is not to convince someone to do video, but to someone to, uh, to convince someone to have me do the video because it, it started to become a commodity. And then the question is, you know, how, how, what's the least amount of money that I can pay for a video? And that would not be me. Do you know what I'm saying? So that, that became the challenge is getting, getting someone to um, listen. There were, there were many people that would charge two or three times also what I was charging. So it, it, it's, you know, the challenge I think for any, uh, business owner in the service industry is to figure out um, and not waste, figure out the white, right, a, a good compatible client, a good prospect, because there are going to be some people that are just too small that just don't have the money. So that the onus was on the responsibility was on me to find clients where, you know, a few thousand dollars for a video didn't scare them away. You know, so that was, uh, you know, that was a part I didn't like because I don't I don't like the business development part. I'm a creative guy and I was forced uh, to to do everything, to wear a lot of hats. Um, and uh, it's really tough when you're doing everything to also be the guy that's looking under rocks, trying to find clients, you know. I understand. I understand it. I fully understand because I, I also... I'm not as creative as you, but uh, even when you are doing, you know, something like journalism or podcast or something, then business development is a totally different thing. People, in, even in podcast, uh, people talk about monetization, but uh, obviously you don't go and tell people, listen, man, I do an interview for you, so you give me money. It means that sounds very diff different than what, what I have been trained for in journalism school and all this year, it's like it, it, it's like you uh, editorial talking to marketing straightway of a different company and asking, you know, it's not going. It's it then becomes very difficult to 
uh, to operate and neither it, it, it for your sensitivities also it does not work that way well i didn't tell so, you this you don't know this i don't think but because uh, i don't know if i shared any of this but but um maybe i did um you think it was early to get into uh, video in 2013. I got into podcasting in early 2006. Wow. You must tell us about that. Um, because I'm also going to ask you about the G-cred. We can't leave, leave that out as your big achievement, you know? G-cred, right. Yes. Um, so, listen, I, I, a lot of people, uh, entrepreneurs, I think their biggest problem is, is they, um, they don't pay attention. They don't pay attention. You, you can't, you, if you want to be successful as a business owner, it's not just what's happening now is what's going to be happening, um, next week, next month, next year. So I, again, I don't care what your industry is. You've got to keep your fingers on the pulse of the future and, and you're not always going to get it right because no one can predict the future but in my case when i i you know I, i'm a curious person and i think that has uh served me well that curious personality has served me well in my career because when i heard about podcasting in 05 i was really intrigued with it and um, I started listening to as many podcasts on podcasting that I could get my ears on. And when I realized how relatively easy it was, even, even back then, to have a podcast, I, I said to myself, boy, this would be fun to do. I, I, like, uh, I like talking to people. And... Um, I should also say back to our early conversation, because I was uh, having to do business development, I thought that podcasting might be a possible way of getting business prospects in front of me, get, have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone that I would like to have as a client. And I, I wasn't comfortable picking up the phone and making cold calls and start calling people. But when my assistant sent out an email that I targeted to a business owner that I thought would be a, a really good match for my business, for my marketing consulting, and invited him to be on the marketing show with John Follis, everyone that we asked said, I'm not sure what a podcast is, but sure, I'll be on it. <laughs> right. Um, because again, this was, this was, uh, my, my show went live in February of, of 06. And, and so that was pretty early. And a lot of people there, then it was like, it was the new shiny object. And all they knew is that it was an opportunity for them to talk for 20 or 30 minutes about their business to a world, worldwide audience. And um, I wasn't charging them a penny to do it. So they said, sounds good to me. The only problem was I had a difficult time of converting those those guests into clients because I was branding myself um, unintentionally, not as a brilliant advertising marketing guy, but as a really nice guy who hosts a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that 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 
uh, happens that happens when you can be the nicest guy in the room but uh, not the one who is you know making the money so somebody so else to is making to, the to money. try to flip the perception from being a podcast host to being a brilliant award-winning creative marketing guy who could solve a lot of their problems if they hired me to consult them was a really hard flip to do i did get one or two out of the 50 or 60 people I interviewed, but at, I, I realized pretty early on, Jay, that uh, after the first dozen or so that it just wasn't going to happen. And at that point, I said, well, you know, screw that strategy. Let me just find the smartest people around the country that I would like to uh, talk to um, and learn from because so much was happening. This was when YouTube was just starting and Facebook was just starting and LinkedIn was just starting and people were saying, what's right. a blog? What is a blog and what is SEO and SEM and all this stuff? And what's a WordPress website? And what's all this stuff? So I found people who, who were on the cutting edge with all that stuff and invited them to be a guest on my show. So the education that I got just by interviewing the smartest people in the country on all this stuff was invaluable to me. Yeah, yeah. You got, uh, was was it because of that you were honored at the White House? N no, not, okay. not, then, not even, not even close. I, yeah, okay. I don't, I don't think the White House honors podcasters very much. <laughs> okay, I'll come to that question uh, after this. Uh, but John, tell me, you have, you know, had a, uh, done so many things and a lot of places you did not make money. So the curious a uh, question uh, for me is that where did you finally make your money in advertising? Um, well, I made a lot of money not in advertising. I bought Apple stock pretty early on. <laughs> okay. So that helped. Okay. okay. Um, uh, you know, I, I was never about the money in my career. There are a lot of, you can make a lot of money in advertising. You know, just uh, sell your soul and uh, you could make a lot of money. And um, I wasn't uh, I tried to um, uh, I tried not to do that. I, I okay. it's not that I didn't want to be successful and didn't want to win a lot of awards. But to me, it was more about being the best advertising guy, not necessarily the richest advertising guy. And I, you know, I would have liked to be both, um, but um, I just focused on um, working for the best agencies and not necessarily the ones that paid the most, because right. it to me it was about my craft. I, I I really wanted to be known for my um, for my great advertising, and I hoped that eventually that would lead to more money. Um, so really the most money I made was uh, on my own when I uh, left the big agency world because I kept getting fired a lot. Yeah. And um, but I found a a great new business guy. And uh, we did really well. And that's for the first couple of years, first three, two or three years of that business. He was really, really good at getting finding the business. And I was really good at doing the creative work. So we made a very good team for a few years. And uh, with that, with uh, our agency, um, I start, finally started making some money. 
Okay. So I, if I understand, John, then the, your advice was seen life so close uh, from and advertising world so closely. What is your advice that people who want to really do creative work should also look at uh, other streams of revenue where they can, you know, where, which, which would be enough for to pay their bills? Well, you know, I have to um, thank my father uh, for uh, my investing because he was a very savvy investor and he uh, would talk to my sisters and I when we were pretty young and stress the value of um, he said, you're never going to get rich working for someone else. That's one thing he said. And you might not even get rich working for yourself, but you, you're going to have probably the best chance of getting rich is if you uh, think, learn how to invest wisely. So um, that's, and you know, that, that takes a little bit of skill and a lot of luck. Absolutely. So and I can, I consider myself very, very lucky, but, I, I, I feel very fortunate, as I said, to have a father who really encouraged me to think about investing. And, um, you know, fortunately, I, um, I mean, listen, I, I, it's not like <laughs> considering what the market has done in the U.S., I don't know what's doing overseas, but in the U.S., what the market has done the past month is, is you know, frightening. So uh, it's not like I'm sitting back in my on my laurel saying, you know, I'm I'm a great investor because uh, the game isn't over. You know, the market goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. And right now it's gone down quite a bit. But um, I've done well enough to feel like I don't have to chase after clients anymore. Let's put it that way. That's 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 great to uh, uh no, uh, John, because you see, you started uh, your advertising career and in the first seven years, you got fired four times and then you built it up. Tell us about that, because this will be a lot of understanding for people who are not just getting into advertising, but any yeah. other line, how yeah. uh, how things can go wrong for the right or wrong reasons right? and how you can make things right, because the next 25 years were fabulous for you. Yeah, well, I went to one of the top schools in the U.S. for advertising. It's called Syracuse University. And uh, it's about five hours north of New York City. And most of the uh, students that graduate Syracuse go directly to New York and get jobs on Madison Avenue. Um, they taught a lot of great classes at Syracuse related to advertising. But one course they... Uh, never taught me, and maybe they, they should, is office politics. You understand that, right? Everybody experiences that. Right. Um, and there's no city, I don't think there's a city in the world and an in, a business in the world that is more steeped in politics than New York City and Madison Avenue advertising. Because it's a creative business, right? The currency on Madison Avenue is creativity. And everyone's got their own opinion as to what 
good creative work is. So a lot of it comes down to personality and ego and how much you're willing to uh, knock people down to get your ads sold and all that stuff. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of backstabbing and, you know, uh, political maneuvering around that uh, enables certain people to become successful, even though they may not be the most talented, they may be very good at office politics. And uh, that was that was a, a rude awakening for me to be confronted with an environment like that because um, not only was I not prepared for it, I really didn't want to have anything to do with it. And the problem with that is that, um, at least for me, it was unavoidable. When you're thrown in an environment like that, and you get an assignment, it's not just you working on the assignment with your teammate. There are two or three other teams competing for the same thing. And um, remember the show, The Apprentice? Did you have that in India, in India The Apprentice? With yes, Donald we Trump? had. I didn't watch it, but I, I do know about it. Okay. So The, the Apprentice uh, was similar. Uh, people who may, who don't uh, work in advertising or in New York um, can who are familiar with the show The Apprentice know that on that show there were two teams of people competing against each other for the same thing um, and the whole show The Apprentice is built on the drama of the interaction between the people trying to do better than the other team and the personalities right well that's kind of a microcosm of what it's like to work at a big agency in New York, you know, just multiply that times 20 or 30. And that gives you an idea of what the environment is like um, in advertising where there's a lot of egos, a lot of uh, uh, stuff. And I just, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I just, some people are good at it. And, and I, I was not. So as, as a result, and, you know, I should say the other, the other reason I got fired a couple of times was, um, and maybe your listeners and viewers can relate to this. Generally speaking, when you get hired at a big company, you get hired by someone who, who likes you. The other people at the company may not be that impressed with you, but at least the guy who hires you likes you, right? Right. So, so if that guy suddenly leaves the company okay. after he brings you in, you're you're gonna you're gonna be vulnerable and that happened to me twice where the guy who was a just a brilliant brilliant advertising guy brought me in and uh within three months and in two two situations he left to get another job a better job so i was kind of stuck hanging there and in both of those situations i i eventually got fired so i think that was probably a factor, not the only factor, but certainly a contributing factor. Right. It happens. It, it can happen. In fact, uh, you know, uh, the, the top guy would like your creativity. You talk to them, you know, you could have some meeting with them and then yeah, they can always hire you. But obviously not everybody in the team or the company may feel that way. And uh, everybody wants uh, somebody else's place all the time. This is how uh, this happens in all companies. So, 
I'll just say one la- one other thing though. Um, my personality, did just as a personality, didn't really um, fit well in the corporate environment, and there are a couple reasons for that. Maybe because I my dad was an entrepreneur, so maybe I had the entrepreneurial blood flowing through my veins. And, and that just didn't sync well with the corporate environment. Um, but um, I, um, I have kind of an irreverent personality where I kind of like challenging authority and, uh, and just have a, a kind of an irreverent perspective of things. And that doesn't work well in a big corporate environment where, you know, people want you to just, you know, stay, stay in your lane, right? So the, the, the personality trait that I think got me in so much trouble at these big agencies uh, are exactly the same personality traits that made me as successful as I was as an entrepreneur. Right. So it's important to understand one's personality better uh, at the initial stages itself. That would which help is somebody. Not, yeah, which is not always which is not always possible, of course. Sometimes awesome. you don't realize it until you're, you know, you're in a situation and you just kind of, you know, I, I didn't realize it until I was fired four times and then, um, you know, started freelancing and was fortunate to find a business partner and things turned around the way they did. Um, uh, so had, had that not happened, I would never have realized that. Right, right. But you did fairly good after that, after those initial seven years, you became an entrepreneur and you, in fact, uh, immediately after, uh, I guess you, you invented the term called G-Cred in web uh, 2.3, 2.0. Now there is a lot of talk of web 3.0, but during 2.0, you were the the man, G-Cred. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, Well, I'll just make one comment before we go into G-Cred. So, um, when I teamed up, my, my, biz, my partner was um, as good at finding business as I was at creative. We were both really good at our specialties. And because we were different in that way, our agency just exploded really quickly. Um, okay. w- within two or three years, we had, uh, we had clients knocking down our doors what and, was the name of your agency that time? Well, originally it was my name and his. It was Follis and Verdi. His last name okay. was Verdi. So we, we did that for the first three and a half years. And then we added a third uh, partner. So it became Follis DeVito Verdi. And okay. um, four years into our agency, we were the second most award-winning agency in New York. And uh, we were beating out all the... Uh, the agencies who had worldwide networks, you know, Ogilvy and Mather, McCann Erickson, uh, J. Walter Thompson, uh, big uh, worldwide agencies. And they were like seven of us who worked at our agency at the time. So to become the second most award-winning agency of all the agencies in New York, there's like 2,300 agencies in New York. Um, That was pretty amazing. Um, and the work that we did was winning awards like crazy. In the first three years, um, I, I couldn't win any awards. I had trouble getting my work produced at big agencies. Um, 
and then three years uh, working with my business partner where basically I could work on all the clients. I was calling the shots. I won uh, over three dozen awards uh, in about uh, three and a half, four years and was voted one of the top uh, New York ad guys by the New York Advertising Club. So my career totally turned around just in the four years uh, having my own agency. But back to the uh, your question about G-Cred. So my agency um, did that for several years. And then when I was on my own and trying to figure out how to um, – uh, I don't like to use the word reinvent, but basically uh, uh, evolve my business. And I didn't want to, you know, wasn't it wasn't so cool to be an advertising guy in in the late 90s, early 2000s. And so when I was um, paying attention to the evolving uh, digital landscape um, right after the turn of the century, I just realized that Google was brand new. I forget what year Google came out, but it was shortly after the turn of the century. And uh, I just realized the importance of any business, product, organization, or even professional person to show up when someone Googled your name. And because I'm good at naming things, that's part of what I do. Um, I came up with a, a kind of a slang term that I thought uh, um, reflected what I just said, the value of showing up on Google. And I, I came up with the term that I call G-cred. G for Google, cred for credibility. Right. And I tried to do whatever I can to... Um, um, integrate the term into the the slang culture, the popular culture of the U.S. Um, I I came as close as writing an article for Adweek magazine. I don't know if you know Adweek magazine. Yes, yes, it's it's, it's known. known. Uh, Okay. So um, I was a contributing columnist for Adweek. And um, so that's why I introduced the term G-Cred in an article in a column for Adweek in 2006, I think. Um, so it didn't quite, you know, it's not like people all over all of a sudden started using the word, the term G-Cred for that, but um, I tried. <laughs> no, I, but, but, but people, people did use it. It, it became... You know, I, I tried to build, I tried to build a way where with with technology, I tried. I was talking to some software developers and say, "Is there a way that uh, through the certain software people can get, get a G-Cred score, where everyone could like put their name in there and it would pop out some kind of a score?" Uh, you know, and uh, so um, I wasn't able. I think I would have had to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to create an app that created a you know that. Uh, enabled someone to have a G-Cred score. But basically, whenever you just type your name or type anything in, yeah. in Google, a number comes up, and that's essentially your G-Cred score. How right. many times you, it shows it, up? You, you, you could understand that part because even today, anybody, uh, a lot of people do their, you know, they search themselves on uh, Google, and you can call it by any other name, but the fact is that a lot of online reputation uh, is is happening uh, ar- around that 
Google search bar, bar itself. And, and, you know, regardless of the fact that maybe the, the term G-Cred didn't catch right. on the way I hoped, it doesn't mean that the concept behind yes. it is irrelevant because what it what it made me realize if I'm going to be like the the champion for G cred, then I've got to have G cred myself. I better have good G cred. So it was around that time where I just realized that I better start becoming an expert at uh, uh, content creation, digital content creation. So I that's when I got into podcasting and blogging and uh, video creation and started putting as much stuff. And not just, you know, it's not just volume, it's it's quality. A lot of people just really, you know, we were talking earlier about the importance of a video. Just because we everyone can agree that video is important, it doesn't mean that you could just slap any crappy video up there and you're good to go. You got to really think about right. what what you're saying in the in a video. Make sure just like anything that you put on the internet, that's going to re represent uh your your company, your product, your brand, um, everything about you. So it better be a, a really good reflection about who you who you are, who you know, what you're selling, what you're putting out there. So it better be Absolutely. good. Right, right, John. In fact, uh, you know, uh, there is so much to talk to, but I know it's late uh, into the night there, and and, no and problem. it's not uh, it's not that easy to continue talking and telling about yourself your whole life passes through uh, in your brain you know in front of your eyes and then you take out nuggets from that my last question to the man who sold from everything to from coke to god my last question to you is about your uh, being honored at the white somehow i see you credit though humorously uh, that hitler helped you <laughs> Okay, um, that's uh, that's a story. Um, I'll I'll try to. How much time? Do, how, how much time do we, we have? We we have we have we can okay. you can know about that. So the short uh, because the short, it's, it's a very yeah importance is uh, being honored uh, at the White House. White House is not a uh, and the UN for its public service work. And, it's not an easy right? thing, and you know yeah yeah this and it all happened within six months of one another, and and. Yeah. Uh, related but not the same thing so they're actually two slightly different things that i got invited right. but both of them had to do with public service work that i had done um right. i've always uh, made public service work a big part of my um my advertising career so whenever i had the opportunity to work uh, to use my talents toward uh helping to uh market or or advertise a cause that I thought was uh, important, I would do that. And uh, being in, being um, invited and honored at the White House and then winning an award that I was given at the UN, both had to do with uh, a public service campaign they did for child abuse prevention and child abuse awareness. And um, it started it started with me sitting home at night in my pajamas watching TV uh, and stumbling on a documentary about Hitler. So you say, well, what does that have to do with getting invited to the White House or public service? Well, during this documentary, they mentioned that Hitler was abused on a regular basis by his father. And once I heard that, um, 
a light bulb went on over my head and I said, I've got to figure out how to turn this fact into a, an ad for child abuse awareness because that could, that could really get attention. Right. Right. So, um, I came up with an ad that, uh, leveraged the fact that Hitler was abused as a kid. And I showed it to my business partner. He said, this is a great ad. We've got to figure out how to sell it. I just came up with it on my own. I wrote the copy. I designed the whole thing. I put it together. I made a mock-up so it looked like a real ad. And um, <clears throat> he called up the National Committee for the Prevention of Child Abuse. Didn't, he didn't want to give away the idea. He wanted to figure out how to meet them so we could have a meeting, right? So we could kind of warm up the, 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 the conversation before we showed the ad. It just, here's, here's where, um, you know, luck is a big part of any success, right? And when he called them up, uh, it was just our luck that they were based in Chicago. We were in New York. And uh, they said, listen, we're going to be in New York in a couple of weeks. We're meeting with the NBA, National Basketball Association, right. for a meeting. We didn't know why, but they said, why don't you come up and meet us at the NBA headquarters? in New York city, they're just up the street from you and you could show us your, uh, your, your ad. I think we showed them some other award-winning public service ads that I had done. So that intrigued them, right? They, they knew that I did great, uh, really, um, high impact work that, that was really smart and effective. So they were interested, but, uh, when we met them at the NBA, um, they were meeting the NBA because they wanted the NBA to give them some, you said you understand media. They wanted to get the NBA to give them some TV media time to do okay. some TV commercials during their NBA playoff games. Right. The problem was they didn't have an ad agency to do the ads. So we thought we were meeting them to show my little ad. Their agenda was to see if we, they liked us so they could ask us to do these national TV commercials. We had no idea that that was their agenda. I showed them the Hitler ad. They said, we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but how would you like to do some TV commercials for us? And we said, uh, yeah, that sounds good. And they said they're going to be running nationally on TV. The NBA is going to donate $5 million worth of media time. So they're going to be running uh, on every NBA playoff game for the next four or five weeks. So you'll work. Anyone who watches basketball is definitely going to see these spots. And apparently one of the people who watched it was the president of the United States. Because a couple of months after um, the commercials ran, I got invited from the White House. I still don't know officially how it happened, but someone at the White House obviously saw the work and liked the work and felt that this is when um, George Bush, the first was president and they felt they made it part of their administration to honor people around the United States who they felt were um, doing uh, good service to the country. So it wasn't just me that was honored. It was me and a couple dozen other people. Um, but we did get invited to a reception for us because of our work. And we did get a photo op with uh, the first lady. 
So I got my picture taken with the first lady, which was pretty cool. And then um, uh, six months later, Ajay, um, we were able to sell the Hitler ad. <laughs> and uh, uh, someone at the United Nations saw the Hitler ad and decided to give it the first ever United Nations Public Service Award. So uh, six months after I got invited to the White House, got an invitation uh, to the White House, I got an invitation from the United Nations saying, uh, we just gave your ad an award. Would you like to come to United Nations to, uh, to, to receive it? So I hopped on my bicycle, hopped on my bicycle and rode, rode to the UN and got my award. Right. So that was, so right. that, was a, that was a good year for me. <clears throat> yeah, I understand what what it could have meant for you means uh, getting an award uh, at two places, two top places that anybody could aspire for. So now, my let me uh, ask you one question and let that be the last question. You know, <laughs> because it is important for uh, some some advice for the youngsters is from the man who sold from everything from coke to God. You know, with a lot of uh, during that time, there was still some way of looking at what is wrong, what is right, what are the products. Today, a lot of people, uh, you know, keep on making adverti advertisement material, advertising, you know. And sometimes it is very difficult to know which product is good, which product is bad. What is your advice to the young generation who are making ads, whether uh, for offline ads, online ads? How do they conduct best? How they can walk through all these waters, which are not, which may not be so easy to wade through uh, during these times? Well, when you say, what advice would I give young people who are making ads for different products, and how do you wait? I mean, in what respect um, are you asking some, me that question? Yes, because a lot of times uh, some products are not that good for the public, and many, I'm not talking many, about many, many products are not that good. many products. How yeah. does uh, one uh, deal with their personal questions? Uh, because earlier there used to be agencies who used to deal with such things and then they used to take uh, work. But nowadays there are a lot of freelancers, a couple of people who are working on advertising a lot of product. Uh, they go for online advertising. So it just needs a, need a bit, bit of creative for anybody to do that. And later they find out that the product has not been that great or it was not for social good. Uh, you know, so uh, it, it was something that they would not have wanted to do that. How does one wade through all these uh, waters? Well, I can't speak for anyone else. I mean, it's a very personal decision. Um, you know, some people care about that stuff. Some people don't. This okay. is what I was saying earlier. You know, you were asking me about making money. You can make a lot of money selling Coke and McDonald's. That's not the best food for you, right? Okay. You could, you're going you know, you're going to, if, if all you do is have a diet of soda and McDonald's, <clears throat> you know, you're not going to live to 70. <laughs> right. 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 I, and some people in the advertising business could care less if you're just getting paid. Listen, the, the, the jobs that paid the most money back in the day were the cigarette accounts. Okay. They paid a crap load of money, you know? Because they knew a lot of people didn't want to work on it. So if you were willing to, this is what I was talking about, selling your soul, right? Um, I was never a smoker. Um, I, I never liked cigarettes. 
So you couldn't, you know, you couldn't pay me enough money to work on an account like that. But listen, if you're, if you got rent to pay and you've got a couple of kids to feed, you know, you're just going to have to, you'll, you'll take the money, right? Right. So not I, everyone, I not it, not it, everyone is in a position to be choosy. I, is what I, I'm saying, I understand. Right? Why, why I asked is that in, in a place like India, there's a lot of debate and just very recently there was uh, some, you know, discussion going on that, uh, and this has been ongoing also off and on that actors, people, uh, celebrities, they are endorsing products which they should not be doing. Now, uh, there can be a different, more uh, way of looking at it, and everybody looks at it differently. But uh, in the same league, you can say that there are a lot of advertising agencies also uh, making the making different ads, but they are in the background. But the actor is seen or celebrity is seen, and their uh, moral compass for them is totally different. Now, how does one decide this part of it, or is it that the public is also to be blamed because they are choosing those products. So advertising, uh, you know, companies, they are pushing those products much well, more. Listen, I ca you and I could sit here and talk about soda being bad and the other people that, that would look at us and say, what is your problem? Okay. You know, soda's not bad, you know? So, you know, um, it, it's all relative, really. It's all relative and it's all personal. You know, if, if, if you have soda occasionally or McDonald's occasionally, you know, I, I suppose it's fine. Um, I, you know, so it's, it's every, that's, this is why I said earlier, everyone is different. Everyone's got their own values. Um, but um, I, one of the reasons I got fired is be, basically um, because of this, this debate that you're talking about where I actually, um, made the mistake at a big corporate event of okay. asking the CEO this question. Okay. okay. I said, how do you feel about advertising products that are not so healthy and targeting mothers and their kids? It was, it was a Q and a session. So okay. I just thought that was a, a fair, innocent question, but I was in a room in an auditorium with about uh, 1,200 people. And when I asked that question, everyone in the room turned their head and looked at me like, <clears throat> who asked that question? And uh, a few months later, I got fired. Oh, I get you. So, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. again, some people can argue that McDonald's is, is one of the worst things you can eat and, and, Coke is one of the worst things you could drink. And most Americans, uh, you know, who are fat, you come to America. A lot of people from other parts of the world that come to America and they say, oh, my God, everyone is so fat here. Right. It's because they eat crap. Because, you know, they're so and, and you could blame advertising for that. The best some of the the, the most beautiful photography and the best film is you know pouring that glass of coke with the ice and the bubbles and the bite that big mac or that burger king it looks so delicious you know so a lot of people blame advertising um on the fact that americans eat so bad poorly their diet is so bad 
I, I get it. I'm, I'm maybe it's difficult, you know, if, even it's a difficult question for me to also ask. And it's even a difficult question uh, uh, for you to answer, because the, I guess the answer lies that there are proper laws uh, uh, in every country where people are consuming such products and uh, the authorities ensure that uh, people are uh, consuming the right kind of products and individual choices are uh, good choices that they don't in, in spite of in, that they don't consume so much of those products that they become unhealthy for them. Well, I got I got to say, Ajay, what really um, gets under my skin is that the laws in this country allow the packaging of these products to be very deceptive. So yeah. you can say healthy on the packaging when it's full of sugar, right? You could, you could come up the, the, what, what advertisers can get away with saying to, to the average consumer, even, even someone like me who has spent a, a lifetime in, in the business can find it very confusing when I go shopping because you pick up a product and the packaging it's processed food. It's full of sugar, and 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 the um, you know the 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 product name will be Smart Choice, or health, right. healthy health healthy something or other. So they can get away with using terms like that. That if if the consumer doesn't read the small type on the side that says how many grams of fat, how many grams of sugar. Um, uh, how much cholesterol is in it, you know, they're, they're going to buy crappy food without realizing it. And that's why yeah. I, wish, I wish the laws would be a little bit stricter. I think, you know, it's, it's very tough because in Washington, D.C., there's so many lobbyists who work for the sugar companies, right? And their tobacco companies are that, you know, and these lobbyists have so much money. These companies pay them so much money to go and try to convince the politicians to be, uh, you know, not to be strict about these laws. That's a problem, you know? I understand, John. That's all another, I guess, that's all another yeah. subject. No, yeah, yeah. It's, I guess the more, uh, most important factor here is the consumer himself or herself, and they take decisions uh, as per uh, what their health is good, and that you should not just see, just read the book uh, because the cover is good. That's all I can say. That's I tell you, you, you watch, you watch um, uh, TV here on a, on a Sunday morning and um, they're all pharmaceutical ads. They're all, everything is a pill. I don't know if it's like right. that in India, but when they know it's an adult audience, like on a, they know the kids aren't up on Sunday morning, right? They're just recovering from Saturday night. So on Sunday morning, it's all the adults and Every commercial is for some some new pill, some pharmaceutical pill, you know, and that's you know that's another huge industry, you know. Right. But anyway, right. in, in India, uh, we don't have that uh, that as as yet uh, because you can't advertise, uh, as far as I know, uh, those what you call uh, those drugs here, uh, those medicines here. Uh, maybe some OTC drugs can be. Uh, advertise that's the uh, over-the-counter drugs which you can uh, get without prescription so i guess maybe that those can be yeah well a lot of a lot of the the messages well you know tell your doctor that this is what you need 
So it may not yeah. be OTC, but, you know, they want people to ask their doctor for it so the doctor couldn't prescribe it. Right. It's a, like, it's a, it's my, a, it's a very strong. Yeah. Carry on. Carry on. My, my girlfriend, my girlfriend is a, um, is a pharmacist. So, you know, all these, these commercial, these drugs commercials, she says, oh my, that, that drug is terrible. That's a terrible drug, you know, cause of all, all the side effects and all that stuff. So, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, that's where the, the whole ethical issue comes in with advertising yes. where you're, you yes. know, questioning. Yes. Um, but when you work for an agency, that's, you know, you, you have a job and you, you're not, you don't have the luxury of uh, most of the time, you don't have the luxury of deciding which products and services you work on. You get hired, you get struck on a, stuck on a job, drug account or selling marshmallows or some crappy product. You better do a good job, but it's hard if in your mind, you know, it's a shit product. That time account matters. Every account matters. Yeah. Thank you so much, John, for all this information, uh, all the discussions, all the, you know, about the journey of your life, about so much of, you know, and especially the world has to be thankful to you that you introduced videos so early on. And that trend has picked up so well. And you, I would say you are a visionary. That's the reason I, you know, I talked about that first. Uh, well, on you. this, on this note, it's a wrap on this edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you, AJ.